Anger and other bricks. I used to throw things at my husband. Bricks again. Actually, I threw the bricks at windows, but I wanted to throw them at him. I've been raised to be a good girl, no matter what the circumstances. And good girls have a lot of anger, you know, because most of us do not know how to pause when anger arises, we conflate anger and drama, throwing things, saying nasty words, all that stuff. The anger arises and we want to release it. It can't stay inside because we think it will destroy us. So we feel we have no choice but to let it out. Next thing you know, the brick hits the window. Uh, Ellen, am I next? Uh, yes. <laughs> Anger is the battering ram that each of us has. It's fueled by helplessness. Underneath that is incredulous fear. Our core belief tells us that we need to defend ourselves at all costs. <coughs> we wonder, no wonder we want to throw bricks and smash walls. In a sense, other animals don't use a battering ram. They don't get angry in the same way. They can be, they can be vicious and violent, but only for the, a limited purpose in a limited time when they are physically threatened or hunting for food. They don't go around being angry unless they've been around humans too long. Mm. Only... Well, I've seen that with dogs where they kind of take on the personality of their masters. Only humans have this self-conscious ability to look at the world, make decisions about what we think we are seeing, and to act on these decisions as if they were entirely correct. But as humans so often, oh, sorry, um, Milan, you want to read? Yes, I will read this time. Thank you. Oh, good. But as humans, so often we are tired, distracted, and stressed. And even if we have some ideas of not wanting to better other people with our trouble under enough pressure, we sometimes do. The battering ram takes lots of forms, but underneath these battering rams is always some version of our core belief, I am perfect and I should be other than I am. As soon as we solidify a core belief that there's something wrong with us, uh, we'll also have a great deal of anger, whether we know it or not. And because of this, we mess up things uh, at a great rate as we got through our life, relationships, career, our children. When another person isn't doing what we want, we get angry. When sometimes, when something happens we don't like, we get angry. And if we, if we are doing what we think we should do, we turn this anger's anger on ourselves. That is the most lethal thing we do. Usually, what we remember in a story about past anger is the pain, because when we hurt, the learning goes right out the window. We only remember the pain, 
and out of that conditioning, that pain, since everyone has some of that in them, comes the mystery of human life as we grow up and begin to be able to batter others. Responding to anger, imagine a fan, the kind that moves air around, the base of the fan, the part that doesn't move, is like our core self. When a challenge or difficulty hits this base, it affects the base. This difficulty comes into our body and we react. For instance, suppose someone I work with says something that makes me angry. Now, most of us are used to reacting to situations in certain automatized ways. We experience anger and then right away we react. And usually our reaction looks like the way we have trained ourselves to automatically respond to our whole life. So it may look different depending on our original survival strategy. It might look like yelling, like running away, like freezing. It may look like tears or self-blame. All these reactions are being run by the old behavior. It's like the fan just running on one of its skew program settings. Now, just a second. You can turn off, um, Melen, you can turn off, um, the live transcript by going to for yourself. Uh, I cannot do it. I don't know why I was. It's on the bar and it says. Uh, uh, I think, uh, yes, the, the sub menu, I couldn't see it. Uh, can you please talk? Yes. Uh, I, that's it. Thank you very much, Kim. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay, so you, you, it's off for you now? Yes, it's off, thank you. Oh, good, good, okay. Are, is are, is uh, Alan now uh, most of yeah, us? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's your turn, Kim. This is so good to read because um, uh, Linda says I was grouchy today. So. <laughs> Now, most of us are used to reacting to situations in certain, oh, you read that. But if, if we can pause and feel the anger hit us, if we have a practice that lets us stop and notice what we are feeling, we may see that we are feeling anger. We can be aware of all the blades of the fan, which are all the kinds of thoughts and reactions we may be having. These are all the different ways we could choose to react, but with awareness, we experience the strong emotion without letting the blades of the fan begin whirling. Our car self, the base of the fan remains steady. Then we can truly experience our life and we are no longer compelled by our habitual reactions. Each time we can remain quietly with that anger in weakness, just a, a little bit and we have just a little freedom to act more appropriately in the situation rather than react habitually this doesn't mean we don't feel things strongly some people think being aware means stuffing their feeling feelings down and not having any emotions or reactions part of experience experiencing is acknowledging when we are really angry sad or whatever we Sorry. 
still, thank you. Because otherwise we are just getting into the habitual reaction of stuffing feelings down. All humans are liars. We lie about almost everything, particularly to ourselves. We lie about what we are feeling most of the time so we don't have to feel what we are truly feeling. It's hard to see this because that's part of our basic survival strategy. We react because that's what we humans do. But the longer you practice awareness, it's almost as though a pause appears. Somebody is angry with you or you're angry with them and you really want to hit them. But, or you want to run and hide where that person can't ever find you. But there's a momentary pause before you react. And so instead you practice noticing how you feel, you experience it. You can notice what it feels like to have the feeling of anger and let it just sit in your body. Stay with it without expecting anything of it. If we can just stay with what we are feeling, we'll have a naturally increasing awareness of the appropriate thing that needs to be done or said and the practical actions that need to happen next. There isn't a right answer for how to respond to anger or really to any emotion. There is no right or wrong decision because whatever you do becomes the next experience for you to feel and notice. We always think we can make a right or wrong decision. It's not really true. Whatever decision you make is your newest place to be, to experience your life from. See, there's no formula in this, no way. Experience differ, differs every second. So we have really um, exaggerated ways that we've seen recently of people responding to anger like the person who drove through the crowd you know, or the shooters. Mm -hmm. um, so what exactly is she saying? She's, she's not saying don't, don't not be angry, right? No, no. Well, I guess recognizing is step one. Well, it, it, recognizing it and feeling it without acting on it. So you think re recognizing is more in the mind and feeling more in the body? Yeah, I do. And I maybe, like this last... Go on. I'm sorry. You go on. No, no, go on. I like this last paragraph where she noticed um, that is a decision in the future to know where where you are going to be after acting of this anger. Like you can recognize it and then you have several options about how you will do with that. And I like this idea that that will be your next place in life, whether you do something good hmm. or bad with that anger. I like the way you said that. Mm -hmm. So but the anger is no longer in control, but you're in control. Yeah, that's how I understood this. And I like to know that for me. 
I found it well interesting and true and I hadn't really thought about it so much but but when she said that when you think back about like sometime you got really angry and what you remember is being really hurt I mean you remember the pain you don't you don't remember that rush of anger so much as you remember the painfulness of the whole thing that's funny about hurt because one of the the angers I've I've told Ellen before I think someone walked my girlfriend home and I was so angry and but it was hurt yeah I thought it was anger but it was hurt but I expressed it as anger right me too I'm I'm I threw my bicycle in the bushes you know the whole bit (laughs) yeah the dramatic dramatics of it all and also she related to fear and what what is the fear uh early on in this she talked about how uh it's fear of your something about your strategy is not working and your core self is being revealed and you know your poor opinion of yourself is uh being uncovered, something like that. It was about fear, something about fear. I'd have to find it back here to see exactly what she said. Yeah, I remember what you mentioned to Ellen. It's like, like deep down of the anger feeling is the fear. Yeah. Yeah. But not sure where, where it was. Yeah, fear is less comfortable than anger. The anger is like the, the soldier to um, that we we ask to like go out to fight with the other person. Right, you feel like feel like you have some power, but fear you don't feel like you have any power. You know. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Oh, this is another chapter. Uh, oh, that's something. Oh, that that's this chapter. Anger. And no, the- no, that is. That's the chapter, right? Yeah, it's where we are. Underneath that is incredulous fear. Our, our core belief tells us that we need to defend ourselves at all costs. Right. Now I have to get back. Oh, here. Oops. Did I just read? Who just read? I think I just read. Yes. Uh, Kim's, uh, um, it's your turn. This is where we are, right? Developing steadiness? Yeah. Yes. When we experience anger, our whole body feels it. Nobody in their right mind would want to feel all that. Nevertheless, we do feel it. All our troubles, our difficulties, and the ordinary joys of our lives are spinning along, and each emotion finds a place in our body. When it's a painful emotion, we feel that pain. When we have a stiff and habitual reaction, we feel that stiffness in our bodies. 
It's a reminder to pay attention. A regular practice gives us space, not only to feel our anger, but also to build up steadiness so that when we are hit with the battering ram, we can separate action from reaction. When we feel anger, we can bring awareness to it without analyzing it or justifying it. Practice is a space where we can be the anger. Practice is a space where we can be the anger without hurting anyone, including ourselves. In being able to experience anger and feel the helpness underneath it we begin to develop a steadiness. Steady practice allow, allows us to act even in strongly emotional moments from somewhere other than emotional reactivity. Life and other people aren't what causes us to suffer. It's our anger, our own reactivity that causes the bulk of our suffering. With practice, we develop steadiness within ourselves so that under the pressure of illness, misfortune, or unfairness, we don't hurt ourselves or others, or at least we hold steady for longer. The more regular and diligent our practice, the more it takes to shake that steadiness. Practice gives us a choice. We can do what we normally do with anger, which is drama, or we can stay with the age of anger, which doesn't look like anything. When you do that, there's a new world that begins to open. Clarity begins to emerge. At that point, you begin to see what to do. Hmm. Nice. True remorse. Staying with anger is difficult. That's why we often express it so explosively. We want it gone. When something nice is happening, I don't mind experiencing it, and I don't mind if it lasts forever. In fact, I would love it. But when anger comes up, often our first thought is, how long is this going to last? Sitting with anger, we think, I can't sit here another minute. But we do, and there is something that builds. When we stay with the steadfastness on the, on the channel that disturbs us, an invaluable kind of learning takes place. You can hate it if you want, but just to stay there, it changes you. Anyone who sits, if you watch them long enough, you sense the difference. They're not so quick to get angry. There's a, a settledness even physically, that begins to show itself. <clears throat> There's a comprehension of the nature of human disturbance. So even when it seems some people are doing you wrong, you have some understanding of why that's happening. And you have some understanding of <coughs> how to react to it in a way that doesn't cause trouble. A revolution takes place. I don't think we ever see all the harm we do other people, but with practice, we not only steady our anger, but also see all the harm our activity has done. Our practice 
is first and foremost to do less harm. So when we see the harm we have done, we have to apologize. That doesn't mean we condemn ourselves. We were condemned ourselves. We reinforce our core belief that there is something wrong with us. It's a self-centered, not life-centered action. It's good to see that you are a battering ram, but there is a difference between true remorse and turning your anger inward, battering yourself. True remorse is an emotional response. A false remorse is always mental. Whatever we batter somebody, we can apologize. That's a signpost of practice. The quicker we notice we've hurt someone, the more quickly we can genuinely express remorse. See your complaint. Being aware of our complaining is an important part of practice. It's good to feel underneath the details of a given complaint for the underlying stance we're holding to a life. Even a lament, a lament is a, just a, no. It's a, a lament. A lament. Ah, oh, thank you. Even a lament. That's so, like something you regret. Mm, I see. Okay. Even a lament. Oh, go ahead. Lament. Yeah. Lament. Lament. Even a lament is just a certain species of complaint, one that expresses grief, distress, and unhappiness. A lament expresses the woe of our life, the way we feel is going wrong or has gone wrong, the way it's hurting us or other people or other people are hurting us. Any place that has more than two or three people has complaints going on the time. The subject of the complaint may very well be legitimate, a suggestion, a new plan, or even a demand may be needed. But these are different than a complaint. A suggestion is an idea of how something could be different or go better. A complaint is a recording of how we feel about the world not suiting us. Nobody wants to think of themselves as complaining, so we dress up our complaints. We hide them so we don't have to know we're complaining. Correcting other people is one way to hide a complaint. Often the correction amounts to, you're not doing that in the way that suits me. Agreeing with someone else who is complaining is another way we hide our complaints. Complaining about complaints is another one. Meddling is a form of complaint. Overworking and then feeling like a martyr when no one notices all your great work is a complaint. I've heard complaints that were so dressed up in compassion that you would have thought you had Mother Teresa sitting there. It doesn't matter that you complain. We all do it. What matters is if you don't know you're doing it because dressing your complaint in a pretty dress is a form of lying. What would be an example for uh, for that? Mm. How would you dress up a complaint in in uh, compassion? I'm trying to think. <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is the southern thing of bless your little heart. 
<laughs> I have a lot. Uh, let me see if I can make it because I um when I learn uh, coding, I make a lot of mistakes, and instead of like complaining about my mistakes, my supervisor taught me like kind of like the way he showed me how to redo it. I can tell that he got upset because I make a lot of mistakes, but at the same time he doesn't want to show it because it doesn't help. So he like show it in a compassion way that yeah. he actually taught me how to like redo the thing. Yeah, but it seems like that was nice of him to try to be nice about it, you know. I don't know. I'm I'm having trouble. Two, two, I'm having trouble thinking of anything. I mean, sometimes people complain in a way that you know is insincere or covering up, but I just can't think of anything myself. Nancy, well, you if you say, if you say, um, I know you must be very busy, uh, and maybe that's but, why you made this mistake. Something like that. Like, is that what your teacher was doing, Nancy? Um, I don't think he say something like that. Uh, it's like he did not make a reason for my mistakes. But the way he show it doesn't make me feel hurt in the sense that uh, like he did not diminish me at all. But I can feel that like. I think he said something like, um, um, you are on the process of learning. And so like, okay, let me show you how to like do it in a like correct way. Kind of like that. He did not say that I did it wrong, but <laughs> the way he said it is wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's one of them. Okay, who's reading? Uh, you are. We all have things, is that where we are? We all have things that we believe, the, <coughs> the belief thoughts that come from our core belief. When we're criticizing or being helpful or whatever we wanna call it, we don't see it as complaining. We think we're just telling the truth, but it's the truth we've as seen from the viewpoint of our core belief. We think it's unfortunate that the rest of the world doesn't share this way of seeing. If only they did, then we could get on with making a perfect world. It doesn't look like a lie or a criticism. It looks like the truth to us. That's why practice is so important. Mm -hmm. A complaint is a form of anger. We tend to notice other people's complaints before our own. Why are they always complaining? When we can acknowledge our own complaints and the feelings behind them, we see that the challenges in our lives spring right out of our own perception, perceptions. It's true that something is happening outside of us and that it needs to be handled, but the difficulty is inside. 
Imagine, imagine you have a boss with who finds fault almost con constantly and is consistently unreasonable. This pickiness is so constant that you feel you can stand it. What are you going to do? Our inner, inner complaints is like this boss. This shouldn't be happening. I'm doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. The barrage is constant. Barrage? No, a barrage. Barrage. It's, it's like when lots of things are coming at you. Okay, thank you. The barrage is con constant. We try to practice wish with it, to ignore it, to tell ourselves it's not a big deal. But at some point, we get very angry. A complaint is one form of anger, and anger, especially hidden anger, keeps the world in a mess. Our tendency is to act out our anger, and that usually doesn't work so well. So we try to suppress it. Then we often come out a little complaint. There's a big difference between experiencing your anger and thinking you have to put it out there and fix somebody with it. Self-centered action and life-centered action. Practice is never about not handling things, but always about how you handle them. If you're in a situation that's causing you a lot of suffering for your health and safety, you may need to change it right away. You may need to establish boundaries so that you get some rest, some time to regroup. But if you have space... Wait, sorry, I hear some noise, right? Background noise. What's it sound like, Nancy? I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Hear it. Oh, so okay, maybe just for me. Then. But if you have space, then it's better from a practice standpoint to focus on your own reactions to the situation. Then you can begin to see the situation more clearly. One way to tell your practice is growing is that you no longer have hidden complaints. You may have different ideas for ways of doing things, but you are not lamenting and addressing your complaints. When we're lamenting, we usually either take unskillful action or even no action. You can leave, and sometimes eventually you need to leave but you take yourself with you just the same, unaltered. The other person remains just the same, unaltered. Our basic vow and our practice is to do good. When you walk out, your situation just stays the same. If that's the case, you're going to meet it again. Believe me, if you haven't resolved something, life will just make sure you meet it again and again and again. Because our thoughts are our own position in the matter, if we aren't aware of them, the likelihood is that any action we do take will be self-centered, no matter how good it looks. <coughs> With practice, if we see the difference between our lament and the situation at hand, any action that we do take is more likely to be life-centered. I know Alan's heard this story, but 
there there was there's a Chan priest in St. Louis and he was driving with his monks and they came to a peach stand and there were two vendors selling peaches but at different prices and he bought some peaches from each the identical peaches and then his monks further down the road said okay tell us why did why didn't you buy just the cheap peaches and he said they both have to make a living and i think that's a great example of the life-centered choice hmm. he, he wasn't just thinking about his own pocketbook Is it my turn? Yeah. Boy, that happens fast with four people. <laughs> we can't address change <laughs> on a functional level because we've dealt with our emotions first. Otherwise, we're trying to create change from a place of anger. And that doesn't work because with most complaints, no matter how you dress them, the other party senses your grievance, your anger, and your desire to fix things. It's very different from when you honestly experience your own emotion and then try to work together on something. So what I'm finding, you know, since I was grouchy today, um, it, it's really um, wasn't about the other person, my wife. It was more just simply that there were things that I was um, not happy with within myself or within my world. They had nothing to do with her, but she was there, so she was um, experiencing it. There are always things that need to be looked at and possibly altered to find a better way, but there doesn't need to be so much emotional attachment to a certain result. Change becomes more of an investigation, an exploration of the question. How can we do this in a way that's less harmful? No complaints. There's a Buddhist story about a woman named Sono whose devotion and wisdom were respected far and wide. One day, a man came to see her after a long journey and asked, what can I do to put my heart at rest? She said, Every morning and every evening, and whenever anything happens to you, say, thanks for everything. I have no complaints whatsoever. The man did as he was instructed for a whole year, but his heart was still not at peace. He returned to Sono angry and said, I've said your prayer over and over, and yet nothing in my life has changed. I'm still the same selfish person as before. It didn't work. What should I do now? Sono immediately said, thanks for everything. I have no complaints whatsoever. On hearing these words, the man began to laugh and left in peace. Thank you. Should I continue? Sure. Thank you. I have no complaints whatsoever. This is a practice in letting go. It doesn't mean not to handle life, but you are not uh, fighting its flow. If you are in a turbulent stream, turbulent, right? 
Yes. Turbulence. If you are in a turbulent stream and there is a big long hand hitting at you, hitting at you, you could turn the lung aside if you could, but there is no extra tension, no resistance to the overall flow. I have no complaints whatsoever. From morning to night, we complain, usually inwardly. Some of us are careful about how we do it because we want to look good. It's okay that we have complaints. Notice them, be honest about them. Be curious about the emotions inside them. If we are honest about our complaints, we can be a wonderful part of our practice. Thank you very much. I have no complaints. <laughs> I think it's a good place for we to stop, yeah. for us to stop and write. I hadn't thought about that, about complaints and how yeah. often. I mean, yeah, life, my days are full of complaints. Yeah, I used to call my uh, my parents, especially my father, every week, and complain to him. <laughs> you know, not not something he did, but there was something in my life, and I think wanting wanting some kind of sympathy, and he never gave it to me. <laughs> you know, he would turn it around. Uh huh. Huh. <laughs> this remind me. Uh, long time ago when I um, I stayed with some roommates and I talk about something while they were there um, doing something really they did not pay attention on what I'm saying so then I said are you guys listening to me and then they both laugh <laughs> and said, no. okay okay now we listen <laughs> hmm, I think that was a legitimate complaint <laughs> I'm glad we read this. I have to talk to a group tomorrow night, and it was going to be in the form of a complaint, and now I have to figure out how to reframe it. Oh, yeah, but to still be honest and not lie, like she was saying, you know? Yeah, and not dress it up. Not dress it up. You know, and, I, and when we were reading that, I thought about Peg and how, how she, she's very direct she's kind and she doesn't mean ever mean any harm but she's very direct she just says it what it is i might talk about it at our council meeting good idea today tomorrow tomorrow yeah it has to do with like if you are angry it shows you know yeah so i'm angry and there's fear and and all those things, yeah. and none of that's going to be useful. Right. I don't know. Yeah, talk about it uh, at the council meeting because uh, I don't know. I guess just I know nothing, but I mean, it seems like if you are angry, it wouldn't hurt to say that you are angry. Well, that's a good point that that uh, it's going to come through anyway. Yeah. You know, at least I'm passionate about this issue. Yeah. And that might be a good way to start reframing it to yourself, that it comes from care. Well, owning the anger, which I think is a lot what she was talking about. Yeah. Right. You guys know that expression, owning something? 
it means um, to admit that you have that feeling. Uh, like I think Choco Beck's talking a lot about owning anger. If you're angry, saying I'm angry, or owning a responsibility for doing something. Have you heard that term, Nancy? Mm, no? How do you spell that term? Owning, O-W-N-I-N-G. Oh, owning, oh, oh yes, yes, yes. You've yeah. heard that, okay. Yeah, I heard that, yeah. Okay, sh should we write now? Yeah, can we, everyone, any, can... okay, so um, are we writing about anger? Uh, what the... Sure, or or the what was the last topic we read about? Complaining. Complaining and anger, whatever comes up. I'm going to bed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Night. Have good night, Ellen. Okay. Here with you. We'll work on the time change. And there she went. She's an hour later. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it's already nine for her. Okay. Then I have to leave at uh, 8.15, probably, okay? Oh, well, maybe sure. we should just continue talking then. What do you think? We don't have to yeah, do the same thing every night, every, every day. We won't okay. get, no one will get angry. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can discuss without writing. Yes. Oh, okay, good time to leave too. Uh, yeah, sure. See you next week. Um, good time. Thanks for coming. Yeah. All right, just three of us. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, this is awfully difficult because we have ideas of certain things being like anger and complaining aren't very nice, are they? I mean, if you had a friend, you'd rather that they weren't angry and you or a wife or a husband or whatever, or that they weren't complaining to you. They're not traits that we admire. It's not fun to be with someone who's doing those things. Julie. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, Milan, you want to say? You can go ahead. Uh, thank you. I, I am uh, not sure if I understood completely the the cap chapter chapter or chapter 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 about complain was was she talking about complaining as a regular form of doing that or was that something beyond that that I couldn't notice in the reading how did you understand understood complaining I'm going back to it. Well, she told a story about thanks for everything. I have no complaints whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we talk we talk a lot about uh, the difference between the way things are and the way we'd like them to be. And a lot of our complaints are uh, that the, the way we'd like them to be isn't the way they are. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like I would like it if Ellen wasn't in another time zone and could still be there. So that can easily go into a complaint. Um, or it could go into simply understanding that here she's taking care of herself. She's in a different time zone. I probably would want to do the same thing. I really admire her that she's able to, to do that instead of, you know what I mean? There's so many ways I could, I could frame what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And probably it has to do with a self-centered complaints has to do with a self-centered. Right, vision. right. She's leaving me as mm -hmm. opposed to she's, you know, doing what she needs to do. And then, then the complaint could easily lead to anger, couldn't it? Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was surprised with this uh, paragraph of anger that says that what you can feel anger all of your body or something like that. Uh, so it's. Uh, I understood that anger is a very strong feeling. Uh, and what it called my attention is that it is not the same with some other opposite feelings. So if you are completely calmed or sometimes, I don't know, love to say something or others, you may not experiment those in the same way, which is very well complex i think but you feel them in your in your body don't you mm -hmm. it's not the same feeling but it's it's it first it's in your mind and then it kind of moves through your body or or a feeling of relief like let's say you lose something and you're angry and then you find it you know, and then you feel so good because you feel this relief and all of a sudden you can start breathing again, especially, you know, someone's going to be angry if you lost this thing and then you found it. And, and so then you have some relief. So you avoided anger. Mm I also like this uh, idea about lying. I think it's important to think about that part. Like we're constantly lying to everybody and to ourselves and to be aware of that. Yeah, it's so easy to, because you don't do overt lies thinking that you never lie. You know, like in a sense, I was lying to my wife because what was bothering me had nothing to do with why I was grouchy or, or, you know, like there was nothing she did or, you know, that was making me grouchy. It was all me. So I was lying in a sense, not just simply saying, you know, the reason I'm feeling grouchy is because of this and not taking time to do that. So, um, So some of it's to protect ourselves, some of not facing, you know, we just don't want to deal with some things. 
So that's why we lie to ourselves, isn't it? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's easier to see that we lie to people, but it's much harder <laughs> to see we're lying to ourselves. Right. Yeah. So when when you are complaining or lying or feeling anger, could you think could you think it's a good practice to sit? Yeah, because um, you don't have a lot of choice. It's like looking in a mirror. You know, after a while, you you see yourself. Like the opposite of sitting to me is like a noisy bar where there's so much going on that you don't see anything, you know, within yourself. All you hear is noise. So that would be the opposite to me of sitting. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it could be a good practice. Probably when you sit constantly, you, as, as Joko said, you realize about what's going on with you when you are under these situations, in on these situations. And if you don't have the chance to do, to sit immediately, you can choose what to do there and then after a while when you are seated sitting go farther i didn't sit today and i wonder how that affected me in terms of being grouchy i'm not sure if uh Yoko back mentioned somewhere um, that we read that sitting is not actually just sitting, but is like walking, uh, like when we do something mindfully, like walking, laying down, like the four positions is also considered as sitting, like the meditation. So as long as you like concentrate and like, like oh be calm and like, open the space, mainly to uh, bring the space to yourself, where like all of the stuff like inside, like the noise that like, um, disappear, kind of like that. So when at that time you have like a clean water that we can use. Like, uh, so, so what you said is any activity that makes you focus. Mm. I just say that like you are mindful of what you're doing. Mm. Okay. Do you there, there, um, oh. Yeah, so there's many ways of being mindful. One is is like when you're looking at a candle, you're mindful or if you think about uh where the candle came from or where it's going to go the whole life of the candle that's another mind i think just where where you're not something else isn't occupying your mind something extraneous um 
you know, yeah, sometimes we're, when we're busy, we we don't have that opportunity to. Why well, I think it's so important. Kids don't get to waste time anymore. I think wasting time is really good. Because <laughs> then. Um, You know, you have big spaces and then something comes into your mind. Mm -hmm. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to this orientation orient, orientation meeting of Pamela and Ellen, Helen, Ellen was there. And I was, um, I asked her, asked her um, how long should you sit or something like that. And um, so what do you think about that, Kim? Well, there's a joke about it, a Buddhist joke, and that is that, that the person says, how long should you sit? And the teacher says, well, I, you should sit an hour a day. And then the person said, well, I can't afford, I can't do that, that's too much time. And then the teacher says, well, you should sit two hours a day then. <laughs> um, I was uh, the person that that Ellen just took a, a course with this Analeo, Analeo uh, sits every day from 2.30 to 8.30 in the morning and from 5.30 to 9.30 at night. And the Dalai Lama sits supposedly four hours a day. You know, and it's always surprising that these guys who are such masters need to sit day after day after day. It would seem like, well, they, you know, like once they get it, they don't need to do it anymore. But, uh, okay. But I think like noticing, like I'm noticing, so, you know, how do I feel? How am I reacting to other people when I'm not sitting can be a good clue to you know, it's, it would be the same as how much sleep do you need? You try, you know, five hours of sleep and you notice that you're grouchy or that you're tired or that you don't have energy or you're not thinking straight. And then you try 10 hours and you realize something else. And so I think it, it has to do with experimenting and it would probably be different for everyone. Don't you think, Nancy? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, everyone has, like, we need different uh, length of sleeping as well. As it's really a good experience sometimes to like do an intensive where you're sitting most of the day because there's stuff that happens there that won't happen, you know, in a half an hour or an hour because you kind of run out and it's like the lies, you run out of the lies. You know, like if you were with a friend and, and the friend was just listening and you started talking about everything that was on your mind, you'd, you'd get all this stuff out. And then if they kept listening, then you'd have to really say what was on your mind. You know what I mean? And that happens, I think, with the sitting where you can't hide it anymore. You just run out of the, the stories that cover up the real stuff. So, uh, we, you know, it, oops, there you have to go.
I have to. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. No, that's a good ending. Yeah. The bell. <laughs> thank you. So thank you both. Thank you. See you next week. See you. Bye. Bye. So we are early today. Yes. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too.